hard to go a verse or two without um, having to stop and do some theology. Uh, well, like I said, it was the first sermon in a couple hundred years that God had to give to his people. But it sort of opens up a bit here. Uh, just little events and then the lessons from the events that go through. I mean, it's not uh, deep theology, uh, but there surely is some amazing things to learn. So Jesus has finished up his epic sermon. And I, and I hope by now you have a feel for the greatest sermon ever preached. Uh, honestly, that it really was. It's just profound. Uh, well, when it comes from God, I, I guess it should be. But it starts, verse 8 starts with this. Then he came down from the mountain. Uh, large crowds followed him. Uh, Matthew now gives the account of four consecutive miracles directly after the epic teaching. Uh, and of course, uh, you know, by now you guys should have an understanding of the purpose of public miracles. Uh, providing, uh, proving the validity of the words he just spoke. So, you know, he comes, he, he says these amazing theological things, then he comes down to those miracles. Uh, proving that who he is, you know, that what I just said has weight. And then there are teachings about both faith and the cost of the kingdom and then some more miracles uh, faith and cost go together if there was no cost I'm not sure what you need faith for um, but he weaves them together very nicely and don't lose fact the uh, you know from this point on Jesus is pretty much inundated with crowds he's he's the rock star man he there's nowhere he can't he can go where especially up north you know he he, that's still hometown. He's still working out of Capernaum, and he's just well-known now. Everybody knows who he is. Everybody's showing up. <coughs> so he comes down from the mountain. Everybody's around him, and then this happens. Yeah. A leper came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Um, not the way that if you spend any time in um pentecostal uh or charismatic movement it's not the way it usually happens they're demanding healing they're claiming healing but the humility of this gentleman who comes and stands before christ um and while this is the first public miracle that matthew notes by the way it's not the first because if you go back to john 2 1 through 11 uh jesus turning the water into wine and where Jesus said to Mary, uh, you know, it's not really my time, you know, Mom. Uh, well, now is his time. <laughs> he just gave this epic sermon. This guy shows up to be healed, and it's leprosy. Now, that's really important that it's leprosy. Uh, and also, Mark notes that Jesus cast out demons directly before this happens. So I'm trying to fill in the gap. So before this guy, after he comes down the mountain, while the crowd's there, he cast out a few demons. And then this guy shows up. So this man, as well as many others, uh, most likely heard about Jesus and what he had done and came to him for relief. He had a reason for his faith. Uh, he had heard. And, you know, maybe he even heard from a distance the message. Uh, and leprosy is important. Leprosy was used as a symbol for sin. Uh, it's tough enough to have leprosy, but then to have your, your sickness be known as uh, a metaphor for sin 
uh, is considered loathsome, it spreads, and it's incurable. Uh, those are the three things that we link to sin. And he humbled himself before Jesus. And it's important to note this. He calls him Lord. Uh, now, there's the generic term for Lord as someone, but this seems to be deeper. This seems to be Lord as in uh, divine. Uh, if you are willing, he puts the matter into God's hands. And this goes along with the centurion who's coming up. Uh, just denoting that he already knows what Jesus could do. He already believes it. He already has the faith. Um, your will, not mine, basically. I know you can do this, is what he's saying. And do what you want. I would like you to do it, but if you want... <coughs> yeah. <coughs> yeah, that, that did. It jumped right out of there into here. Uh, but I know you can do this, Lord. I have the faith. So I'm just relying on if you want to. If you're willing, do it. And uh, what what a sweet way to approach God. Uh, Luke puts it this way, Luke 5.12. He was in one of the cities. Behold, there was a man covered in leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face, implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Uh, you get a little more oomph out of that one of his faith and falling on his face before him, which gives you more of the idea of what he meant by Lord. And in Mark's uh, account in chapter 1, he said, He went to their synagogues throughout all of Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. See, this is what happened from the time he came down the mountain till this guy with leprosy. And the uh, leper came to Jesus, beseeching him, falling on his knees before him, saying, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And then it gives us a little more background on this. It says, moved with compassion, Jesus stretches out his hand and touches him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. See, this isn't a healing where you go, ooh, yeah, it's all better. No, the, immediately, the leprosy was gone. I mean, this is a... A verified right out in the open raising from the dead you know he had leprosy now he doesn't instantly um, the move with compassion part is not something you can go by uh, lightly and I will address it now about leprosy because it comes up several times from Easton's Bible dictionary which was the best I could find on it because we have very little knowledge of this other than Let's just say most of us know anything about leprosy. We know it from Scripture. Um, this disease begins... Uh, we got him. Benny, what's up? We prayed for you, Benny. And we're talking about leprosy. We prayed for you, and now we're talking about leprosy. So, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it does. This disease begins with specks on the eyelids and on the palms, gradually spreading over the body, bleaching the hair white, uh, wherever they appear, crusting the affected parts with white scales, causing terrible sores and swelling from the skin. The disease eats inward to the bone, rotting the whole body piecemeal. Yo. In Christ's day, no leper could live in a walled town, though he might be allowed to live in an open village. Wherever he was, he was required to have his outer garment rent, torn as a sign of deep grief, 
and to go bareheaded to cover his beard with with his mantle as if in lamentation over his own virtual lamenting his own death he had further to warn passerbyers to keep away from him and calling out unclean unclean so anytime anyone would come near him he would have to basically say stay away from me i'm a leper uh no one could nor could he speak to anyone or receive or return a salutation since in the east this involves embrace uh, that the disease was not contagious was not contagious is evident of the <coughs> it i don't know why it says that is the regulations regarding it in revelation uh leviticus 13 12 13 36 second case leprosy was the outward invisible sign of the innermost spiritual corruption uh a meat emblem in its small beginnings it gradually spreads its internal disfigurement its dissolution it's just little by little to the whole body so that which is corrupted degrades and defines man's inner nature renders him unmet to enter the presence of a pure and holy god our lord cured lepers this divine paros so manifest illustrates his gracious dealings with men in curing the leprosy of the soul the fatal taint of the sin uh, there's definitely a uh, strong connection between leprosy and sin which is why christ addressed it jesus stretched out his hand verse three and touched him which is kind of powerful this is the guy that kept saying stay away stay away i'm clean everybody's watching including the religious leaders that he's touching someone unclean saying i am willing uh be cleansed and immediately the leprosy was cleansed jesus touches the leper if the leper was not instantly healed jesus would be considered unclean by the law so the point is as soon as he touches him he's healed so he's not touching anything clean is the general feeling in that i'm willing uh the i am willing statement by jesus is foundational to our faith once we accept and acknowledge that jesus can heal us that he's powerful the only question is left is will he do these things for us and how much you believe that he will is what your faith is based on you know uh, it's the part that is left to him he can because he's all-powerful he will do what's best for you in the kingdom because he loves you then jesus said to him see to it see that you tell no one but go show yourself to the priest <coughs> present the offering that moses commanded as a testimony uh, to them so he tells them obey the law uh, don't go running and telling other people go straight there do the law get the law out of the way there's a couple times it's interesting where it says jesus has moved to compassion and he heals somebody and then he tells them don't tell anybody uh tell no one several times jesus heals someone and tells them not to tell anybody some of those healings speak to jesus compassion for them uh matthew 8 for the leper uh 9 30 the two blind men 12 16 the men with the withered hand in 16 20 after pentecost i mean after peter proclaims him as christ he says tell no one and 17.9, after the transfiguration, Jesus tells them, tell no one. Don't tell anybody what you just saw. 
In Mark 7.36, when he heals the deaf man, he tells him to tell no one. In Luke 8.56, the parents of the girl he raised from the dead, he told them to tell no one. I mean, that's pretty powerful. Your daughter gets raised from the dead, and he says, don't tell anybody. There seems to be two types of healings and miracles. And one where the healing is assigned to the world of who is who he is validating what he says. And the other seems to be more of a personal action done for the person that is healed. Uh, I see those as the healings that God does still today. Uh, there are two categories. The other category, the spectacular, in which this, would n this one would not be. This was done out in the open. I mean, this guy came and, I mean, this was no private matter. Uh, I believe he told him, don't tell anyone, because he wanted him to go and take care of the law so that it wouldn't come back on Jesus. Also, Jesus had a timeline that he spoke of several times. He knew exactly where he was on that timeline and when he was on where he was on the schedule. Uh, remember what he said to Mary, Mother, my time has not yet come to start doing these things. Yet out of compassion for his mother, he turns the water into wine. Also, Jesus was well aware that the people would try to force him to be their king. So there's a couple things you have to think about why... <coughs> Jesus is telling not to tell anyone. He doesn't want things to begin before they need to begin, but yet he still wants to heal the people. He knows what profound effect the healing will have on the, the nation and the people. So he's basically saying to them, just keep it quiet, because it's not time yet. Um, because there came a time, uh, John 6, 13 through 15. So they, this is after he fed the crowds. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, This is truly the prophet, not a prophet, who has come into the world, referring back to the prophet who would be like Moses, uh, which was always a prophetic uh, utterance about Jesus. And they were right. He was that prophet. So Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him their king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. Uh, Jesus puts a kibosh on something that the people wanted because it wasn't what was best for them. Uh, the, um, the, the thing with the, the, the guy going, telling the guy to go to the yeah. priest, there were rules, I yes. think, in Leviticus about the priest I have it. Verify. Oh, you're going to go there? Yeah. Okay, sorry. Um, it, what he was telling him is what he had to do. So that one I don't put into the, just because he was moved by compassion. I, I don't see that. I always think of it as today's healings and Jesus' healings to proclaim who he is. And I'm always moved by scripture that says, in the end times I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. That's how you're going to know it's end times, in my opinion. You're going to see these things again. Um, you know, so you don't have to say it was Hitler, the Antichrist, or is this person that, or is because inflation's rising. No, you'll know. Things will be happening. Uh, the thing that people always miss about God fulfilling the schedule is, you know, I will pour out my spirit, there will be a great revival. I mean, like the world has never seen before, you know, one last swipe through the field, you know, and 
nobody ever talks about that. They always talk about these, you know, evil people and the Antichrist. Yeah. Uh, a witness to the priest who Jesus uh, was, uh, what he did for the... Uh, so he's still ministering to the priest or just letting them know, this is who I am. <coughs> now, in the history of Israel, uh, recorded history, Moses' sister, Miriam, was the only person ever known to be healed of leprosy. Now, I'm not saying there wasn't others, but that's all the scripture tells us, and I don't think Jewish tradition gives us anything else either. Um, and that's from Numbers 12.10. Uh, if you remember, Miriam and Aaron rebelled against Aaron, uh, Moses' uh, <laughs> authority, saying, don't we have authority too? Why are you all listening to Moses? And God gets really, really mad at both of them. And once again, Moses intercedes for his sister and his brother, and he just gives her leprosy, and then he heals her when God, Moses asked her to. Leviticus 14, 1 through 4. The Lord, uh, the Lord said to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. Now he shall be brought to the priest. First thing, right off the bat. The priest shall go outside to the camp, uh, thus, uh, right, go to the outside of the camp. Well, basically, bring him to the priest, but don't bring him in the middle of all these people until this is verified. Thus the priest shall look, and if the infection of leprosy has been healed in the leper, then the priest shall give orders to take two live clean birds and cedar wood and a scarlet string and hyssop for one of those who has been cleansed. So there's an offering that has to be given. So he has to go. It has to be ver The miracle has to be verified by the priest, and then an offering has to be made. Now, I read verses 1 through 4, but in Leviticus, that goes on to verse 32 of what has to happen, what this guy is getting sent to do. And then from verse 32 to 57, it gives instructions regarding what to do with a house that had the mark of leprosy. So it's basically an entire chapter on leprosy. It's extremely comprehensive. Verse 5. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him. Now, that word comes up a couple times. <coughs> Not just here. Hold it. Just got a little rush there. <laughs> there we go. Back. Um, from Easton's, uh, a Roman officer in command of 100 men. That's what a centurion is. Which would roughly be our equivalent of a captain. Uh, in the army. Uh, that's the closest I could think of captains anywhere from 65 to 120 or something like that, depending on the situation. Uh, Cornelius, the first Gentile convert, uh, was a centurion. It's a pretty important dude. Um, other centurions are mentioned. Uh, boy, I got a list of them, man. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, fifteen, six. There's, they're common in Scripture. Was a centurion who watched the crucifixion of our Lord, probably in charge of the detail that was crucifying Jesus in Matthew 27 and in Luke 23. And when he saw the wonders attending to it, exclaimed, Truly, this man was the Son of God. The centurions mentioned in the New Testament are normally firmly spoken of in terms of praise. In other words, what you're hearing is when the centurion is mentioned, it's usually not anything bad with it. Um, even though they're Roman. Uh, occupiers um, 
whether in the Gospels or in Acts, it's interesting to compare this with the statement of Polybius, um, which was a historian, I guess, that the centurions were chosen by merit. So they were men remarkable, not so much for their daring courage as for their deliberation, consistency, and strength of mind for character. They chose their leaders by character. And it showed up. Now, Capernaum had become Jesus' base of operation. We talked about this, I believe, in the beginning of Matthew. Many of his miracles and teachings, this is where, you know, Jesus' early ministry, this is when he was up north, that's where he was working out of. It's in Galilee, near the sea, in the north, a uh, prosperous town, right on a trade route, right on the lake. It had everything going for it. The synagogue where Jesus often taught uh, may have been built or remodeled by the financing of this centurion. And so this guy isn't just some random dude. He's known in the community. He does his job very well, and he's respected as an occupier. He's respected. Uh, Luke's account says that the centurion went to the Jewish leaders to approach Jesus. Uh, this says that it, he just came to him. Well, Luke gives us a little more detail, saying out of respect, well, being in the military, understanding the phrase chain of command, <laughs> he understood it. And so out of respect for the religious leaders, he went to them first and said, you know, can you work this for me to get me to Jesus? Uh, an act of respect and both following the chain of command. Either way, the centurion reached out to Jesus and he did it the way that it should be done, the, the way that he was trained to do it. Uh, in Luke's account, uh, let me get this from Luke 7, 1 through 10. When he, had come, when he had completed all his discourses in the hearing of the people, the Sermon on the Mount, he went to Capernaum. And a centurion slave who was highly regarded by him was sick and about to die. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of his slave. When they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, saying, He is worthy for you to grant him this. For he loves our nation, and it was he who built our synagogue. Now Jesus started on, on his way with them, and he was not far from the house. So Jesus agrees, yeah, so they're taking him, the Jewish leaders. So apparently we're not in a level of hostility yet between the two. And, and realize this level of hostility up north isn't quite as strong as the level of hostility that is down south in Jerusalem between the religious leaders and Jesus. And sometimes we lump them both together, and uh, it's not exactly the same thing. Because when you get down in Jerusalem with Caiaphas and that group, that group's a tough crowd. I mean, these guys saw everything Jesus is doing. I mean, they didn't always have their agreements with them, but they're close enough that they went and found Jesus, said, come with us, and Jesus said, okay. Um, Jesus started on his way with them, and he was not far from the house. So basically, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. Not only was he not feel that he wasn't Jesus, what he wasn't worthy to have Jesus. He wasn't felt he was worthy to talk to Jesus. He sends friends to talk to him, and they may even been Jewish friends. Uh, if you will remember, there is some um, uh, about socializing with uh, Gentiles 
entering the house of a Gentile. Jesus actually got some uh, crap from the Jewish leaders for doing that on a couple occasions, I believe. Uh, it's not what Jewish law, not scriptural law, Jewish law was keen on. Maybe this gentleman is aware of this. But either way, uh, Luke's account is very rich, and it adds some details that give you even a little more respect for this guy. Back to uh, Matthew, verse 6. And saying, Lord, my, my servant is paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Now Luke said, he's on the verge of death. So we get a little bit more. Also translated as uh, servant, slave, all that. But basically the meaning behind it is uh, young boy or young man. Either way, this was obviously someone the centurion cared about. Uh, more than just paralyzed, he's dying and he's in writhing in pain. I mean, something that's really hard to watch for someone you care about. <coughs> Apparently, the centurion knows the area as he's responsible for, as he has an understanding of what Jesus has already done, either seeing it for himself or hearing about it from trusted sources. Perhaps knowledge of the healing of the nobleman's son in John 4 which happened before this. Um, it's probable that he knows about that. He may have known the nobleman. Uh, Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Uh, once again, I remind you that Jews were not supposed to go into the house of a Gentile. But the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. This Roman not only recognizes Jesus' ability to heal his servant, but he recognizes the lordship of Jesus Christ. He recognizes the power and the authority of Jesus. The word Lord. He knows what that means. It's not a casual word. When you know when he says the word Lord, he knows exactly what he's saying and he means it. If Jesus wanted him healed, he will be healed. It's not a matter of ritual, system, or incantation. It's not magic words. It's not how you pray the prayer. Jesus doesn't even have to touch him to heal him. Which is interesting because just about everybody that Jesus healed, he reached out and touched. I mean, think about through scripture how many times he healed people and it says he reached out. Or people reached out and touched him. You know, the woman the just. Leper we just heard about. The leper we just heard about. The woman who reached out and touched his, the hem of his garment. This guy has so much faith. I mean, that woman fought to a crowd to touch the hem of his garment. This guy says, I don't have to do that. You're God. You just say the word and it's done. Um, it goes along with what the leper said. If you are willing. Uh, it says. For I am also. And he explains himself. For I also am a man under authority. With soldiers under me. And I say to this one go. And he goes. And to another come. And he comes. And to my slave do this. And he does it. He said I understand authority. Now when Jesus heard this. He marveled. Now think about making God marvel. Isn't that really cool? To making God just so happy that he just went, wow. To have you do something and God says, wow. That's cool. You know, God goes, you know, I, I, mean, I mean, just think it through. You know, you made God happy. And, uh, <laughs> and, said, and said those who were following, which were the religious leaders, and I'm assuming quite a few others, truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. He's saying, this Gentile has more faith in God than any of you Jews. Wow, okay, that ain't going to make them happy. 
Um, Jesus gives a quick uh, three-verse teaching on faith in the Jews. Uh, the great faith of this Roman was praised by Jesus and expanded upon in uh, Matthew 22 regarding the Gentiles and the kingdom. See, this is important to us. Him saying about this Gentile and him marveling at the faith of a Gentile. Uh, remember, Jesus' ministry is to the Jews. He says it straight up. That's what I'm here for. Paul will come later to talk to us. This guy's a foreshadowing of what's coming. He really is. I mean, this this is really big. And then him saying this to the Jews, especially, remember, the religious leaders are taking him there. And he turns and says to the priests and the scribes and the Pharisees, uh, this guy got more faith than you. <laughs> Think about this. Anyone. Now, who did Jesus know at this time? What Jews did he know? He knew Peter. He knew John. He knew James. He knew the religious leaders. He knew his mother Mary. He knew John the Baptist. And he said, this guy has more faith than any of them. Uh, you want to astound Jesus? Believe him. Matthew 28, 8 through 10, speaking about the Jews and the Gentiles. And he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those who are invited are not worthy. Okay, he's saying to his angels, uh, I invited the Jews. They don't want to come. Therefore, go to the main highway, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. Go out and look for them. Well, that's us. We're the ones out on the main highway. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all they found, both good and evil, everybody. And the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. He invited them all. Everybody. And which is what Paul was sent to do. Verse 11. And I say to you, many will come from the east and the west, reclining at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Don't lose track. He's talking about the Gentiles. And they know it. This is not endearing him to the religious leaders. All because this guy had faith. So, he's not an accident. He was always the plan to be there and say what he said and do what he did. Uh, God saw that faith and decided to use it. Um, Isaiah 49, 12-13. Behold, these will come from afar and lo, these will come from the north from the west and from the land of Simon. Shout for joy, O heavens, and rejoice, O earth. Break forth in joyful shoutings, O mountains. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. Those coming from the east and the west and uh, the north and the west in Isaiah, this is a fulfillment of prophecy. Malachi 1.11 From the rising of the sun even to its setting, which means what? East to west. My name will be great among the nations. And every place incense is going to be offered to my name. And a grain offering that is pure for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. So, what Jesus is doing right here and what he's saying about the Gentiles, about us, had been prophesied before. And it's all coming through this one guy's great act of faith. Jesus goes on. Remember, he's, this is all coming from this guy coming and saying, you, you could just heal my kid. 
And this is the teaching he's giving about that Gentile's faith. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There it is again. Matthew is full of talking about the severity of punishment and that it is not a pleasant thing. But the sons of the kingdom is re reference to Israel. Speaking of Israel, speaking of the people who are actually hearing him, which are Jews, six times in Matthew, Jesus uses the phrase weeping and gnashing of teeth when he speaks about divine punishment. And Luke uses it once. Remember, Matthew is writing about the Jews for the Jews. Gnashing of teeth usually speaks of anger. They gnashed their teeth before they were stoned, before they stoned Stephen. Gnashing your teeth is anger. You know, that thing. They, it, that phrase is used for the Jews who were stoning Stephen. So, he gives, this guy says something. Jesus points out his amazing faith. And then Jesus goes into a wonderful brief teaching. Oh boy. About um, faith and about the Jews. So he takes an opportunity to turn around and talk to the Jews. You know, I'm here to minister to you, but man, I'm using this guy as an example to tell you something you need to know and to tell the world. Then, after the teaching, he turns back to the centurion who's listening to this, probably not under getting anything he's saying. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it shall be done for you as you have believed. Not that you asked, but that you believed. And the servant was healed that very moment. Uh, the centurion's faith was based on what he knew. The centurion, the centurion stood on what God and life had showed him. God gave him a reason to believe. So he did. We are always accountable for what God has shown us. We're accountable for the faith we should have because of what God has done. Remember, Capernaum is the one who Jesus crystallizes this with, where he says to them, you know, if I'd have done the miracles uh, that I've done in, in your presence in Sodom and Gomorrah, they'd still be sitting there. They'd still exist. You know, and he tells them, you are going to be judged harshly because you didn't believe what you had plenty of reason to believe. When Jesus, oh, we'll, we'll leave there because that, that's the end of it. Uh, we'll move on. To the next one is uh, the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. But uh, in the middle of a healing, he gives profound <laughs> teaching, a couple of verses that strike to the heart of our lives, every one of us here. Um, that's us. And I am so thankful for it. And, uh, you know, how I would love to have the faith and the understanding of God that that centurion had. Um, he is someone to be admired. When, well, when God says, when God marvels at someone, pay attention. You know. Yeah, I believe that. Yep. And you know, and like I said, you want to marvel. You want God. You want to surprise God and make him happy and have him marvel. Like, oh wow! You want God to say, oh wow! Believe him. It's just that simple. Anything anybody needs to bring up or talk about or point out or anything like that? <coughs> wow. Verse 14, I believe, is where I left off. 
let me write that down I just opened back up the one I closed what number did I just say 14. thank you thank you thank you very much let's pray Lord we come before you and I thank you for your word and uh, we are just so honored to have it Lord and just to guide our lives Father I just ask that your word that we've just read find a home in our hearts and then when it finds a home in our hearts and it changes and it produces fruit and produces light to this dark and sad world so that we could become part of the solution not part of the problem Lord and I ask you to watch over my brothers and sisters make them strong wise brave and compassionate and help them to glorify your name and what they think what they do and what they say in Jesus name Amen. Amen.